it's our Problematic Women Day on the podcast. Joining me today is Kelsey Harkness, senior news producer for The Daily Signal, and Lauren Evans, a multimedia producer at the Heritage Foundation and The Daily Signal. Okay, so our first topic is a little bit more adult than we usually go. So just a heads up if you have, you know, little pictures around. So here's a new video from The Atlantic, and it has some surprising findings. Apparently, the sexual revolution hasn't resulted in more sex lately. These should be boom times for sex. Our culture has never been more tolerant of sex in just about every permutation. Shameful terms like perversion have given way to cheerful ones like kink. Polyamory is now household word. And you can use apps to arrange for casual sex within an hour. But despite it all, young people are not having more sex. They're having less. The average adult has gone from having sex 62 times a year to 54 times. In the 90s, the percent of high school students who reported dating began to drop. More people than ever seem to be sitting on the sidelines, romantically speaking. Some experts say this may be because people are spending less time in couples. At the same time, the share of American men who reported masturbating in a given week doubled, while women more than tripled. Easy access to porn is part of this story, of course. Some people say that the internet has made it so easy to gratify basic social and sexual needs that there's far less incentive to go out into the real world to satiate these desires. Okay, well, Lauren, not to put you on the spot, but I know you were very interested in the online dating portion of this. uh, This video, of course, is, I don't know, a summary of a very, very long Atlantic article, which full disclosure, I have not finished, but I will someday. Uh, Lauren, what are your thoughts? Uh, I thought it was really interesting. With the online dating, it talks about how it creates such a large dating pool and people both who online date and who don't online date kind of assume like, okay, you log on to the app, you meet somebody, you go on dates, you hook up. But that's not what's happening. I think they said for an average looking man, he has to swipe on about, which swiping means that you're interested in dating them. You have to swipe on about 300 girls just to potentially talk to one. And that's not even like actually getting the date. So, you know, just because we have online dating doesn't necessarily mean that people are actually meeting one another. Right. I mean, in some ways, um, you know, at least in my personal experience, sometimes having so many choices makes it that you're like, well, why should I settle on anything? Which is not a great mindset. Yeah. And they even said like the people who end up actually getting married are the the couples who talk very briefly on the app and then meet up in real person like really quickly. I think our so-called selfish generation, the millennials, which I often push back against uh, people calling us that. I'm, I'm a part of it. Um, but I think our generation also has idealized relationships. Uh, we have so many Hollywood movies and examples in real life when we're following celebrity culture so closely now of these seemingly perfect marriages where sex is abundant. And then it turns out in real life, I mean, that's not how it works. And, you know, maybe we should wise up because if you look at the divorce statistics among celebrities, it's pretty awful. Clearly, they don't have the perfect 
fairy tale marriage that they often make it seem in social media. So I was interested in, in in reading this piece about how much of a role sort of celebrity culture and social media plays um, because I think it is, uh, you know, in, in an unfortunate way, it suggests that people do have these lives that are full of lots and lots of sex. Um, but if you actually look at statistics and talk to people, I mean, most of us know that's not how it works. So I think the article raises some interesting points on that front. And then I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this. Um, it got into how technology and pornography has affected uh, the rates of, of men and women having sex. There are some scary things happening on that front that I didn't know about. I mean, some of them happening here in the United States, some of them happening over in Japan where they're using really advanced technology so that you don't need a partner anymore. Um, it said in this article, uh, masturbation rates were going up. And so I, I think this is um, not a good sign for society that we're replacing physical uh, physical interactions, physical touch with technology. I think that's going to lead to some very dangerous results. What do you right. think? Well, it's not just the United States. We've covered on this podcast. Um, I'm not sure if it's still happening, but there was talk of a sex robot brothel coming to Texas. Um, and I believe the original outpost was in Canada. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's interesting. I think it was 2010. There was a Senate candidate, Christine O'Donnell in Delaware, who was absolutely raked over the coals and mocked because she had said when she was younger, she opposed masturbation. And, you know, obviously not a popular opinion in today's America, but as is being anti-porn. But I think what this article sort of says is there might be unintended consequences to some of this stuff that maybe we haven't fully thought through. And it is interesting that, um, you know, yeah, we have this thing right now where it's never been easier or more approved to have casual sex. And yet it's interesting that people are not. And I think there's a lot of factors at play. But I do think I wonder if we'll be able to have an honest conversation about this or if anyone with concerns will just be shut down as, hey, you're prudish. How dare you? It's very inconvenient to the liberal feminist narrative that you hear that sort of promoted this whole, uh, you know, free sex, open sex um, idea. And I think in so many ways, we talk about this on the Problematic Podcast all the time, what uh, second and third wave feminists fight for ends up hurting them. And you see this a lot with Me Too, there's consequences to these interactions, and maybe our generation is finally wising up to that. We're just not ready to admit it. Yeah, and I think, too, it makes sense in our instant gratification culture that, you know, a relationship, um, even outside of romantic relationships, but especially romantic relationships with a real person is messy. I mean, Kelsey, you're married. I'm sure that, <laughs> I'm sure that you've had, you know, a few uh, spirited discussions over the years. Um, it's not easy. It's, you know, but a computer won't talk back. A sex doll won't talk back. I mean, you can see some of the appeal when people are just becoming more and more used to having their way, having control and having instant gratification. So, I mean, again, I just wonder if, yeah, there's a lot of factors, including our ability, you know, we, you know, stuff like I was talking about Amazon Prime with someone recently and they were like, don't you want to get your deliveries even faster? I mean, 
not that that mindset is really the problem, but I just want to say that, like, I think, again, there's unintended consequences. We want everything. We want it right away. And we don't want to deal with the drama of a relationship. Yeah, I um, I mean, I was anti-pornography going into this, but it was just interesting, this kind of liberal article, mm-hmm. how it just showed pornography ruins the minds of people. It used the word idealizes. It puts this weird idealizes that sex is supposed to be this, like, weird, you know, not intimate thing. It's this thing that you're supposed to share with the world. Um, and then you you pair it. One thing they brought up is that women are more empowered to say no to sex now than ever, better than ever. So when they're having this bad sex or when they're having this rough sex, women just after that, they're like, you know, we don't, I don't need to deal with men anymore. And they're shutting it down. Yeah. A lot of sad things going on. Okay. Well, on a... Well, actually, I was going to say a more upbeat note, and then I realized, no, no not at all, actually not. not. <laughs> but the Canadian Down Syndrome Society is out with a touching new ad. And just to give you the visuals, it features people with Down Syndrome wearing animal costumes. It is the cutest thing. I urge you to check it out with your eyes and not just listen to it, but we're going to play a short clip here. People with Down Syndrome, people like me, are endangered. That's why we're applying to be the first people, people, people on the endangered list. Jobs are scarce. And our community is shrinking. We have to fight for education. We need support. Like all these animals do. They make the world a more beautiful place. And so do we. Okay, well, Kelsey, you wrote about this for the Daily Signal. What do you think? Well, first off, I think I have to give Lauren Evans credit for finding it. She's really good at finding topics for me to yeah. write about. And I'm really I, good and at I, just scrolling to it. <laughs> and I take it away on Daily Signal. So, yes, I did write a piece on this on DailySignal.com. As Kate mentioned, I'd highly encourage you to watch the video. Look, in our world, we see a lot of pro-life ad campaigns. I have never seen one that is this effective Um, It's very highly produced, beautifully done, and it is a handful of children with Down syndrome basically comparing themselves to endangered species. And what this campaign is actually asking for is these children with Down syndrome, um, because they are actually becoming endangered and in some countries actually at risk of quote-unquote extinction, they're asking to be the first humans to ever be included on the endangered species list. That's heartbreaking to me. And I think what is so powerful about this ad is it forces you to think about abortion in a different context because the reasons women seek abortions are so complicated, so sensitive, so difficult to have open discussions about. But when you realize how many women and their partners are choosing to abort children with Down syndrome, it forces you to take a step back and ask what we're really doing as a society and whether this is moral and right. So just to add some perspective to the number of um, children who who are diagnosed with Down syndrome and um, aborted in the womb. So in the U.S., uh, at least 67% of babies are aborted who have Down syndrome. In the U.K. and I believe Canada, that number is closer to 90%. In Denmark, it is 98%. And in Iceland, the 
rate is effectively 100%. So they did a study from 2004 to 2013. Fewer than four babies with Down syndrome were born each year. CBS came under fire in 2017 for publishing an article that I will never forget. It was titled, Is Iceland on Track to Eliminate Down Syndrome? Obviously, there's a huge uproar about this because nobody is eliminating Down syndrome. They are simply eliminating eliminating the people who have Down syndrome via abortion. Very sad. I personally, in talking about abortion with some of my friends who aren't in the political world, I find when I bring up the rates of uh, babies with Down syndrome who are aborted, again, it forces them to think about what abortion is in a different way than perhaps um, they they didn't want to or had never done before. So I really applaud this ad and I'd encourage you all to check it out and share it. Yeah. And I think it just does such a good job of showing the hypocrisy of, I mean, how many infomercials have everybody seen? How many tweets have people seen of celebrities, whether they be liberal or not liberal, but, you know, the the tigers or the, the panda bears or the polar bears, you know, 25 of them are dying a day. I mean, that's very sad. I think my mom always says true conservatives can serve. We should make sure that we're making, taking care of our environment, but these are human beings. These are people who live fulfilling lives and we're throwing them away. And yeah, this ad just does such a good job of contrasting that. And they're so cute. They're wearing these little paper costumes (laughs) and they hit a good part too. It's, it's not just about abortion. It's making sure that we are giving them jobs and we are helping mm. this this community live fruitful lives. So good for them. Yeah. Very. It's a great ad. OK, well, next up, Michelle Obama's new book, Becoming, is out. And on a media tour, the former first lady has been pretty frank about her personal story. Here's what she told ABC News. I felt lost and alone and I feel I felt like I failed because I didn't know how common miscarriages were because we don't talk about it. We sit in our own pain, thinking that somehow we're broken. So that's one of the reasons why I think it's important to talk to young mothers about the fact that miscarriages happen and the biological clock is real because egg production is limited. And I realized Mm -hmm. that as I was 34 and 35, we had to, to, to do IVF. I think it's the worst thing that we do to each other as women, not share the truth about our bodies and how they work and how they don't work. Well, I was glad to see her speak about this. I know, um, you know, women who have had miscarriages, uh, obviously not everyone's public about that information, but it does sound like it's often a very traumatic experience. They often want to mourn and can't because people don't know they were pregnant. So I think it's a great issue for her to bring awareness on. I absolutely agree. 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 (laughs) That's our new term for agree. (laughs) Um, I look, there's some things I disagree pretty strongly in her book, but um, there's some things I give her a lot of credit for talking about. And, you know, one of those is IVF. I personally was struck that she said that women need to be frank about the biological reality of our bodies because that's true. And that's something that I don't think liberal feminists want us to be because it's very inconvenient to their narrative that women can work and have the super successful jobs and have the family they want. Um, you know, I know I, I know people in my own life who have had to use IVF because they they pushed off having 
um, children thinking that 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 would work for them. And biologically, it just doesn't. So it's nice to see someone from the left who identifies as a feminist address that because maybe we need someone like Michelle um, to encourage some of the liberal feminists who often are very vocal on this topic to actually acknowledge that there is a biological clock. And if we ignore it, um, women might not ever be able to be fulfilled with the joy of having children uh, the biological way. Yeah, we just talked on this podcast maybe two months ago about the entire storage facility of eggs. The young women have been freezing that the uh, refrigeration broke and they lost all these eggs. And it's it's a lie that we're telling women our age is that, you know, you can have it all, you know, just store your eggs as your safety net when you, just take your time finding Mr. Right. Uh, but I also do think I do think Mrs. Obama hit on something good when she talks about her miscarriage and that women don't feel like that's a normal thing. And when they have a miscarriage, they're kind of pushed into solitude. And, you know, I don't think that every woman should have to go out there and, you know, scream their miscarriage. But at the same time, well, they scream their abortion. There's, so. <laughs> but they're not alone. And, and this happens It's even, you know, at 28, I've had a lot of friends who've had miscarriages. So. You know, just the fact that she's kind of saying it's okay to other women. Yeah, I really do applaud her for that. Yeah. And I would say, you know, yeah, I was glad to see her reference the biological clock. I think something that, frankly, conservatives and liberals and moderates should all work on is, you know, how do we make our society a little more adaptable to women having children, you know, if they meet the right guy and are ready in their 20s. Because I think right now there's often very real tension between building up your career. Um, I was actually on, of all people, Nancy Pelosi's Wikipedia <laughs> page. Um, a, I don't know, a while ago, it must have been right around the election. Because, you know, she has five kids. And I was sort of curious about her trajectory. And it seems like she married relatively young and I think had most of them you know, relatively young. And then, of course, obviously went on to have a very successful political career. So maybe she'll have some ideas about this. But, you know, I do think we need to figure out a way to say, like, we want women to be successful who want to be in the work arena. And we also want to make it so that, you know, their bosses get they may need maternity leave maybe several times over their 20s or early 30s. Um, And I don't feel like we talk about that enough. Uh, The only other thing I would add is I'm personally um, not a big fan of IVF. I do have concerns about often the way it's done. There's frozen embryos left over. And I wish our culture would talk more about that and discuss, like, is that appropriate? I would argue um, those are human beings. But I think, you know, overall, like, yes, these are conversations we need to have. We can't just have it in the darkness and there shouldn't be shame. Yeah. And, um, you know, talking about how women balance having a career with children um, reminds me of something else that Michelle Obama wrote and has been speaking about on her uh, book tour. And that is and it also relates to the the first topic we were talking about, this idea that of a seesaw marriage. Well, I think that was actually from a Vox article talking about her book. Okay. But yeah. Yeah. So you you were reading up about it. Why don't you explain what Seesaw Marriage is? And for all those wondering, yes, this is still the Daily pod- <laughs> Daily Signal podcast. We are talking about Michelle Obama, Nancy Pelosi, and Fox. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes... They sometimes have, uh, liberals get yeah, it right. Yeah. Um, but they were talking about Michelle Obama talks about how when her husband was rising to prominence, she actually quit her job at a uh, law firm 
to so her husband could succeed. But the same thing happened that uh, I can't remember what career Michelle Obama was, but it was early in her career um, when she had young children that uh, Barack actually took a step back. And Vox labeled this a seesaw marriage. And I actually thought that was a really great way to look at it, that sometimes you need to take a step back for your partner mm-hmm. and other times your partner needs to take a step back for you. And I think it goes back to what we were talking about in um, the first segment where people are told that they, they need to have it all and they can't have it all. But sometimes to have it all, you need to give things up. And it's great that, yeah, men too sometimes should give things up on the career front. Okay, well, for our last topic, I want to quickly hit this bizarre ad. It's uh, for a um, Celine Dion, the singer, is doing a collection with this uh, line called New, New, New. I don't even know how you pronounce (laughs) this. Um, But they're into gender neutral clothing. And Lauren, I think before we launch into the ad, do you want to describe a little bit what it looks like? Yeah. So Celine Dion is in this like very futuristic hospital. She walks in. She's she, she doesn't even walk in. She's broken in. And okay, there's this really affected. Yeah, she broke into a hospital. <laughs> she broke into the hospital. She's in it's like this dreary room. There's babies in pink blankets on one side, babies in blue blankets on the other side. And in the kind of music break in the middle, she spark she puts this like sparkly dust over all the babies and they turn into all these like gender neutral, really hip babies. So, like in black and white, in but black not and like white, convicts. Yeah. <laughs> we may thrust them forward into the future, but the course will always be theirs to choose. I can't believe they call security. I mean, oh, come on. I'm Celine Dion. <laughs> so, yeah, she uh, gets arrested for changing the baby's yeah. clothes. She's so hip. This annoyed me so much when I first <laughs> read about it. I was like, whoop-de-doo, another celebrity on a, you know, on, on, on a crusade to save us from the dangers of gender norms. Nothing new. And it's funny because when you actually look at the line uh, that she is is promoting and, and and created because of this. It's just little black and white onesies that anybody would buy um, without necessarily buying into the left's idea of um, being, you know, their crusade against uh, gender norms. So to me, the clothes were not revolutionary in any way. And I just thought this was so over dramatized. Um, and I guess I just hadn't seen it from Celine Dion before. Um, so I, I thought it was just ridiculous, over the top, and um, complete not nonsense, because what she really did is create black and white onesies. Yeah. So life-changing. And I think about four times in the, the commercial, she tried to make the joke, like, I'm Celine Dion. And you're like... We know. We know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I would recognize her, but yeah, I mean, I just was sort of like, I'm super socially conservative, and I'm like, I never thought it, like... I was like, aren't most babies clothes gender neutral? I mean, yeah. I don't know. I guess you could get like yeah. a stupid little suit for a boy or a frilly it's not dress. Stupid. For- it's super adorable. <laughs> Sorry. But- I mean, okay. But like, I just was sort of like, you know, I mean, I grew up in a large-ish family and like, I'm pretty sure they swapped, you know, blue and green clothes between us. So, all People right. People are well- thinking too much. Yes. <laughs> Stop thinking. Okay. <laughs> well, we're going to leave it there for today. Thanks so much for listening to the Daily Signal podcast brought to you from the Robert H. Bruce radio studio at the Heritage Foundation. 
Please be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. And please leave us a review or a rating on iTunes to give us any feedback. And Rob and Jenny will see you Monday. You've been listening to the Daily Signal podcast, executive produced by Kate Trinko and Daniel Davis. Sound designed by Michael Gooden, Lauren Evans, and Thalia Rampersad. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.